Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the premiere episode of Truck Safe Live, uh, the monthly uh, live show talk uh, talk show dedicated to uh, the pressing issues in the highway transportation realm, where we invite some of the best and brightest thought leaders in the industry to help us tackle these issues and hopefully brainstorm some solutions. Uh, I'm Brandon, and this is Jared, and we're with Truck Safe Consulting and Childress Law, two companies that are devoted to helping motor carriers develop and maintain cutting-edge safety programs through personalized consulting and legal services, and also innovative uh, educational and training resources. So um, we're super excited to launch Truck Safe Live. It's been a long time in the making. Um, we're hoping that it'll become a, a great new forum for this community, for this industry to really discuss these pressing issues. And then also, as I said, hopefully come up with some some solutions to them. So uh, we've got some great guests for, for this first show. We're looking forward to it. I'm ready to go. Jared, you look pumped. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Let's do this. All right, let's do it. Hey, you want to give everybody a rundown of what to expect with the show here? Yeah, absolutely. So as Brandon mentioned, this is a live show. And so we're looking for your comments here. So feel free to post a question. We'll do our best to address it with the guests. Um, any questions on nuclear verdicts are fair game. Um, and the guests will also see the questions. Um, and they may just reach out and grab a question and address it themselves without us asking it to them. So if you um, anything on nuclear verdicts is fair game here. If you ask questions, for example, about you know how Steve Bryan keeps his hair so silky smooth, we may not have time to address those types of questions on the show. Um, any question we are addressing, we'll do our best, like I said, to put it up on the screen so everyone can see. Um, either way, we're going to have our guests do the bulk of the talking here because they are the real experts on nuclear verdicts. Yeah, for sure. And hey, before we move any further and, and welcome on our guest, we obviously want to say a quick thank you to the sponsor of this episode, which is Telematics and Video Services, LLC. TVS exists to help insulate carriers from nuclear verdicts. It has the tools and experience to help shield you using state-of-the-art technology and it'll analytics that won't hinder your team from performing their regular job duties. Check them out online at tvsanalytics.com to learn more about their services and their safety coach products. Again, that's tvsanalytics.com. So just jumping straight in, I mean, Jared and I were brainstorming the show and we, we realized that we needed to really kick things off with a bang. And I think that we took that a little too literally when we decided that uh, nuclear verdicts seemed like the best topic for for the first show. It's obviously a huge issue in the industry. We're seeing it more and more. Uh, you can't go a day or two without hearing something in the news about them. So we wanted to kind of tackle that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all read the articles and heard the horror stories about nuclear verdicts. I mean, the generally understood definition of nuclear verdicts would be um, any kind of high dollar verdict where the evidence presented really does not support the awarded judgment. I mean, typically, Brandon's going to talk a little bit more in detail about this, but typically we're talking about those 10 million and up verdicts. Um, you know, we know many of these verdicts are appealed, um, and that just results in extensive legal fees and time spent trying to overturn the nuclear verdict. Um, these verdicts have caused insurance rates for motor carriers to rise, um, and in turn, motor carriers are faced with cutting costs somehow to survive. And sometimes the cost cutting is achieved by scaling back on excess coverage. Uh, which then, of course, subjects the motor carrier to significant exposure should they be hit with a large verdict. So, 
Um, a lot of issues that intertwine with nuclear verdict prevention and mitigation here, but um, I just touched on barely a few of those and scratched the surface. Yeah, and when we, you know, before we welcome the guest on, we should really take a step back and, and talk, kind of set the stage here for what we, what we mean when we're talking about new nuclear verdicts. And I think the best way to do that, I mean, if you ask 10 different people uh, what is a nuclear verdict, you probably get 10 different answers. And so I think the way that we typically talk about it and the way that our guests talk about it is they look at it kind of in the same sense that the American Transportation Research Institute, ATRI, looked at it in a study that they completed last year this was if you haven't seen this study you need to 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 take a look at it. it's a very in-depth study very comprehensive look at nuclear verdicts and their impact on on the trucking industry in fact if you want to look it up it's on atri's website it's called understanding the impact of nuclear verdicts on the trucking industry and the definition that they use in that study for a nuclear verdict is one that exceeds 10 million dollars so in other words a, a an award of 10 million dollars or more against a trucking or transportation company uh, is considered Considered a nuclear verdict for for purposes of that study, and so you know, there's a lot of good, great takeaways from the study, and I think we should spend a little bit of time looking at them. One of the most inter- interesting things I I um, came out of the study with was kind of tracing these lawsuits back to their root and what what got them started and and what the study talks about is that these lawsuits a lot of them have their roots in the scalding coffee lawsuits you'll probably remember these from like 20 or 25 years ago somebody would would pull up to a mcdonald's or other fast food chain um drive through order coffee take off and then spill the coffee on their laps and get these terrible, terrible second or third degree burns. And, and, you know, that would end up in litigation and we would see these million dollar verdicts against, against these companies. Um, and that kind of, the study talks about how that just kind of sent these types of verdicts on the trajectory that they're on now. And now obviously it's bleeding over into, uh, into the highway transportation industry as well. I mean, some of the examples in our industry alone, um, in 2011, a 40 million dollar verdict awarded against a trucking company when a driver ran a red stop sign uh, or red stoplight, I should say, killing two and injuring one. So $40 million in 2011. In 2014, we saw a $90 million verdict awarded against a trucking company when a driver uh, of the commercial motor vehicle was actually traveling under the speed limit in inclement weather and the plaintiff's vehicle crossed the center line and ran into the commercial motor vehicle head on but that case ended up with a 90 million dollar verdict against the trucking company in a case when it wasn't even the commercial motor vehicle driver's fault Um, so just crazy stuff and then in 2012 we saw what was then and i think maybe still is the largest uh, verdict of its kind against a trucking company, $281 million initially awarded against the trucking company when the drive shaft broke off and went through the windshield of, of a passenger vehicle, killing the driver. Now that case was ultimately appealed and, and settled for an undisclosed amount, but $281 million, it's just nuts. So, um, you know, one of the things that the Atri study looked, looked at, and we'll pull it up here so we can can take a look at it here. One of the key conclusions from that study is that the awards of of these types of nuclear verdicts have risen dramatically over the last 15 years. Uh, in 2004, um, the the study revealed only four 
reported cases where the verdict was was over a million dollars. Again, these are uh, transportation related cases. So four ca- four of those cases in 2006, and then 2013. Fast forward a few years, we we exceed 70 cases uh, in excess of a million dollar verdict, um, and so. You know, another key takeaway from the from the report here is that even though the number of these cases seem to be declining a little bit over the last couple of years, um, the dollar amounts of these cases just continue to skyrocket. So, you know, looking at the graph here, uh, in 2010, the average award was $2.3 million. And in 2018, that skyrocketed to $22.2 million. And that continues to rise. I mean, looking look at it here in comparison to just the standard inflation rate, it is just completely outpacing uh, inflation at, at a crazy rate. So, um, you, you know, the, the takeaway here is that these these cases are certainly rising in in, uh, in both frequency and also in dollar amounts. And so, you know, we start to think about, OK, well, what's what's leading to them? And one of the other thing this the study talks about was it looked at all of the the various safety related issues that came up uh, up in these cases. And I thought this was really interesting. You know, if you look at those cases and let's say that one of the particular cases involved a situation where the commercial driver had an hours of service or a logbook issue, a hundred percent of those cases involving that issue ended up with a verdict in favor of the plaintiff. And there were 26 of that variety in, in the cases that the ATRI study looked at. And then you can just go down the list here and look at these safety issues. You've got you know, controlled substance use, obviously, leaving the scene of the crash, health-related issues, sleep fatigue. So any one of these safety-related issues, the takeaway is that if, there, if, if those are at issue in the case, it's almost inevitable that there's going to be a verdict returned for the plaintiff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, thinking, you know, what is driving these, these verdicts, and it really goes to this uh, reptile theory. We've probably all heard the term uh, at this point, but it's, it's, and and we're going to, I'm interested to hear from our guest on this because this is a theory that the plaintiff's bar is seeming to master over the last few years, where it's more of an attack on the reputation of the trucking company, company more so than an attack on the accident itself or the circumstances of the accident. You know, so um, these cases are just so lucrative that now we're even starting to see these these elaborate schemes where uh, plaintiffs, attorneys and and other individuals are, are, um, you know, conspiring to do these these fake accidents or these set up accidents. And, you know, we saw this recently with uh, I think there was a big one in New Orleans where now we're seeing several indictments and, and individuals being sentenced to, to jail time for this. It's just become so lucrative. So in any event, you know, that's kind of the, the root of the issue that we're going to be talking about today. And, and obviously there are tons of consequences that flow from these types of, of verdicts. We see skyrocketing insurance premiums, which we can talk about. Um, the ATRI study says that the average, uh, premium, uh, over the last five years, premiums have increased an average of between 35 and 40% year over year for low to average risk carriers. So that's causing a lot of problems, including business shutdowns. So I don't know what, what's the, what is the solution, but we're going to try and get to that. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, the solution is what we really want to talk about. Um, and, and with us today, we have two gentlemen that are on the cutting edge of combating nuclear verdicts um, in the trucking industry. They're quite literally going nuclear on the nuclear verdicts themselves. Both of our guests certainly have really impressive bios, but this isn't really the type of show where we want to read big, long bios here. If that's your thing, you can find those bios on the Truck Safe Lives website, which is simply trucksafelive.com. Um, I hope you'll trust that each month we'll bring on the experts who can speak to the issues, and this show itself is no different. Um, as you all know, we have Steve Bryan from Blue Wire on the show today and John Esparza from the Texas Trucking Association. Uh, they're our guests on today's show, and I'm really excited to get these two together to talk about an issue that is truly one of the biggest things on their minds as well as ours. Um, both Steve and John have experienced continued success in 2021, and they're rightfully each on their own victory laps right now. Um, I really look forward to hearing about the current and next chapters for these two. All right. So without further ado, let's uh, let's bring on our first guest. It, although now that I say that one thing, Jared, so obviously I'm trying to uh, produce this show here. I've got got all of these buttons in front of me that I can push for fancy things. And I've got this one that says explosion that's special for this episode. That's just begging to be pushed. So let's, let's see what happens here. Yes. Very nice. You can't have a nuclear, <laughs> you can't have a nuclear verdict show without, without a big explosion. So anyway, without further ado, let's bring on our first guest, uh, who is no stranger to the issue of nuclear verdicts. He's, uh, he's always at the forefront of, of technology and analytics and harnessing them to help motor carriers. So let's welcome Steve Bryan. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Jared, Great to be here. Hey, so you uh, you seem to be making the rounds. I've uh, I've watched two webinars this week already with with you involved. So I uh, appreciate you being here with us. Oh, glad to do it. Glad to do it. Yeah, it certainly is a topic that is uh, top of everybody's mind. So it's good that you know, folks like you are getting this message out. Yeah. So for those of you who for those watching who aren't familiar with Steve Bryan, can you give us a little background? Uh, you, you know, your background, how you got involved in the transportation industry to begin with. Sure. You want me to do that? Yes, I absolutely. I thought, I thought we weren't going to do long bios. Well, <laughs> hey, we're not going to read your long bios, but we definitely want to hear about your background. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, I was introduced to the trucking industry back around 2006. Um, I uh, had come off a series of previous software ventures. I've been doing software startups since the late 80s. Um, you know, I tell people that was, you know, that was when uh, it took, it took, uh, it took a special kind of person to write software when you had to put it on a floppy disk and shrink wrap it in a box. You know, nobody thinks that way anymore. But, uh, um, you know, the world has changed. But I, I was introduced to the trucking industry in 2006. I founded a company called Vigilo in 2007. And we had a 10 year run helping motor carriers first, uh, I guess, be educated and then ultimately, uh, you know, create strategies and tactics around how to manage CSA scores. That was our area of expertise. And then uh, uh, Vigilo was acquired in a private equity transaction with a, by a company called Samba Safety in 2017. Uh, my, my deal in that was to stick around and, and uh, join the executive team at Samba for one year. That turned into three and a half years um, and had, was having a great time. They're a Denver-based company and I was, you know, really, really enjoyed my time with Samba. Um, and I left last uh, August. It was largely driven by COVID and my inability to make that commute out to Denver and be a, 
active part of the team. And I thought, you know, it's probably time I went off and did something else. And that's when I, uh, I turned my attention then to this nuclear verdict problem, which obviously has been with us for a while, as you just pointed out. But I felt that it was, uh, it was getting worse. It was escalating. And I started pondering well, with all of the amazing products and services and technology that are available to motor carriers and not only available, but being widely adopted, why does this thing keep getting worse? And that was really the the question I had in my mind when we started uh, when we started researching this Blue Wire, I'd say I was largely uh, inspired, I think, by a speech that uh, Chris Spear gave. He's the CEO at the American Trucking Associations, as you probably know, and he gave a speech at the their annual meeting in fall of 2019. It was in San Diego that year, and he got up in the general session and declared that this year, next that 2020, the following year, would be the year that that we as an industry declare war on the nuclear verdicts. And then of course this COVID thing got us a little sidetracked there for a bit. <laughs> but uh, so I, that, that got me thinking, you know, I'm a software guy, a data guy, and uh, that's, that's what I've been pretty much my whole career. And, and I started wondering, I wonder if there's something we could do. Could we build software? Could we, could we organize data, analyze data and deploy some sort of uh, tool set, uh, weapons, if you will, to wage that war that Mr. Spear had just declared. And so I pondered that and then got into it actively when I left Samba last year. And, and uh, the Blue Wires become a team of four founders, myself, um, Doug Marcello, Bob Boyich, and Peter Rowe, uh, all very experienced in trucking now and in data and in legal and in drivers and staffing and all kinds of things. So. Uh, we kicked this off just, gosh, it feels like a long time ago. We really just announced the company. It was uh, May 11th when we had our first press conference and announced our presence in the industry. So just just a little over 60 days ago. So it's been a it's been a, a, a whirlwind of activity here the last uh, few months of this summer. For sure. Yeah. And even going back to Vigilo, I think that's when when you and I first uh, met one another and, and working with you through Vigilo. It seems like kind of all of your tech ventures over the years have been aimed at solving a very discrete problem that is plaguing the, the trucking industry. Do you have a process for identifying those problems and then working on solutions? Oh, yes. It's a brilliant process. No, it's absolutely it's absolutely shoot from the hip. You know, we, we actually started Vigilo with no idea at all what we were doing. Um, you know, we had CSA didn't really exist. I mean, it was in the lab, so to speak, in 2007, but there wasn't really much discussion happening yet. And we, we thought we were going to come out and be this some sort of a general purpose compliance platform. And I did a terrible job of researching the industry. And, you know, and once we got engaged, we realized, oh my gosh, there's a lot of really great compliance solutions out here already. What are we doing? And, uh, and then all of a sudden CSA came over the horizon and we thought, ah, now that's a problem. We think we can wrap our arms around its data. It's complex. It uh, needs a lot of education and a lot of new tools around how to manage it. And that's what we jumped into. So uh, I, I call that luck. <laughs> yeah, luck. And then obviously listening to Chris Spear speak and uh, having the inspiration click click in your brain, I guess. There's so a lot of inspiring people in this industry, that's for sure. Yeah, there's no shortage of those, that's for sure. Um, so obviously you said Blue Wire's focus is kind of on these nuclear verdicts. And I've heard you say in other interviews that the reputation of the trucking industry is under attack. What do you mean by that? Yeah, and you mentioned it a minute ago. And I, I 
you know, we we actually started when this was last fall, when we started looking at what might we do. And of course, we're data guys, remember? So we think, wow, we're going to do cool stuff, AI and machine learning and predictive analytics. Like that's what we'll go do. And we thought, you know, where's all this data that we can dig into and help solve this problem? And the more we looked at it and we kept there's a there's a there's a great exercise. You can look up all kinds of examples of this online of of problems that have been solved by just continuing to ask yourself the question, why? So too many times we'll look at something and we'll say, well, why that happen? And you'll get an answer. It's like, oh, okay, now I understand it. But we rarely do until you ask yourself that and dig, peel the onion back and ask yourself that question about 10 times. There's a great example of a problem they had. I won't go into all the detail, but why, why was it that, the, uh, that the, the Washington Monument was eroding they were noticing that the detail around that marble was starting to erode and they kept asking why, 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 why? And what they got to is they had changed out the light bulbs. Now you'll have to go look up why in the world was it that light bulbs was causing erosion. I'll let you go Google that and figure it out. But, <laughs> but that's that's kind of the exercise we went through. And as we kept asking why, 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 we realized, you know what, this isn't about predictive analytics in the data. It isn't about... In fact, I have a quote. I'm just going to I won't do I don't like to read too much in these. I know this is this is conversational, but I, I think it's worth just reading a quote I've got here on my my screen here. And this is this is a quote by a, a very well-known trucking uh, executive runs one of the major state trucking associations. Very well-known guy. And he uh, was talking about one of his members recently who had been involved in litigation. And he he was quoted in an article. This is just a week or so ago. And he says that his member spent over eight hours of deposition over an accident that occurred and not one single one of those questions were about the accident itself. They were all about the company. And that is what we finally came to in asking why, why, why with the Blue Wire startup is its reputation. That's what these these trial lawyers and their their beloved reptile theory gets to the uh, the emotion the, and the inflammation of anger in the jury to punish the motor carrier. It is rarely, never, about the specific incident of that crash. The crash is simply an opportunity for the plaintiffs with their private equity backers to open those doors and then convince juries that you've got a terrible, bad, unethical corporate citizen here. And the only way we're ever going to get them on track is to punish them, punish them, punish them. That's, that's what we, uh, that's how we arrived at, uh, where we now think we are with blue wire, which is to, for the first time measure, uh, report on score and then help manage reputation of the individual motor carriers and ultimately of helping to impact the image of the entire industry. Yeah, I think my uh, I think my three year old has that why 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 process down uh, down to a T. Uh, so, yeah. By it, the by the way, that famous trucking executive is John Esparza, so he's going to join us here. Well, there we go. Hey, how about that? <laughs> uh, before we bring John on, yeah. Before we bring John on, uh, go ahead. I was going to ask. So, by scoring the motor carriers, I mean, what's the next step after the scoring part? Yeah. So there is there's a process that we will we are working hard on actually developing software, you know, go out and we wave our arms in the air and have press releases and all this kind of stuff. Although at the end of the day, you got to have something people will actually, you know, pay you for. And and, and uh, if we're going to be successful, we have to get there. So we're working on software. Uh, it really breaks down into four 
four major components that our platform will address. First, we will we have this we've stolen quite frankly a lot of the a lot of the concepts from the, the world of cybersecurity. So if you think about cybersecurity, you have you have these hackers, right? And they will they they have what they call attack vectors. And those are ways that they crack into secure data systems. So they have email attachments that have uh, have bad malware on them, code that can get in, ransomware is all the rage these days. They have phishing links, they call them, so that if somebody clicks on it, it, it opens up doorways into their systems. And they have things in the physical world. They leave flash drives laying on the, on the coffee table in the lobby in a, of an office building that some some unwitting employee might pick up and plug into their laptop, and now they're, now they're hacked. So these are all attack vectors in the cybersecurity world. Uh, in our world, we, we decided that it was very similar. What the plaintiffs are doing, they're like hackers. They are using attack vectors, but they're very different. The attack vectors in trucking are things like you don't, uh, you don't uh, pay a close enough attention to your hours of service violations, or uh, you're not using cameras. Why aren't you using some of the state-of-the-art technology that's best practice in the industry? And the list goes on and on and on from the moment of recruiting. I mean, we've seen postings on job boards that would make your hair curl. You know, we should never be saying things like that, that, that what we call the self-inflicted wound. Uh, we, we are starting to monitor things like the chatter that takes place between a dispatcher and a driver. Imagine a PowerPoint by a plaintiff up in, a, in front of a jury where the text says, I don't care how many hours you've got left, you get that load delivered, that kind of thing. So, you know, a very broad and a huge variety of these attack vectors that, that uh, exist in the trucking industry that we've identified. And, it, it, and look, it's, a, it's an evolution. The, these plaintiffs are very smart and they're very motivated. So they're looking for these things all the time. So the first thing the Blue Wire platform will do is it will map all these attack vectors to an individual motor carrier to find how vulnerable they are. How exposed are you to these reptile attacks? And then based on that exposure, we will assign a score, a zero to 100 score, 100 meaning you are very highly exposed. You've got some work to do. You need to clean up these things. And then once we have that, stage two of our, of our solution will recommend uh, uh, countermeasures to these. So much like a hacker. Uh, we will, uh, there's in cybersecurity, they have what they call a white hat hacker. That's their, you hire, companies hire them to basically attack me and show me where my vulnerabilities are. That's exactly the way Blue Wire thinks of itself. We are the white hat trial lawyers. So we're going to come at you just as aggressively as any trial lawyer would. Uh, but of course, we're working for you. So we're going to then step two, help you, uh, help you to close up those gaps, those vulnerabilities by showing you where new products, new services, et cetera, might be deployed. And that's step three. We then connect you to those service and, and products providers in the industry. And then the fourth piece, you mentioned it. This is this is something uh, that Atri report, I'd just like to give it a plug, man. That They do a great job. I, I actually had the honor of sitting on their research advisory uh, committee several years ago. I'm just a huge fan of Atri. I think they did a, do a great job. But with this particular nuclear verdict study, they really knocked it out of the park. So they they talk about one of the big problems we have as an industry is unlike the plaintiffs. So the plaintiff side, they share, they collaborate, they share, they have books. They you know you can get this reptile book. 
They go, they have conferences, they have seminars and symposiums and white papers, and they all gather and learn from each other how to attack the trucking industry. We, we, on the other hand, as the defense side, are 180 degrees, and that's Atri points this out. We are, in fact, very secretive, and we actually work hard not to share our best practices uh, openly, and we're afraid to. We have to overcome that. So the, the fourth and final component of the Blue Wire platform is what we call Blue Wire Connect, and it is a forum private uh, membership only. We will make sure we're vetting people coming in. We were talking earlier about people, you know, sneaking into conferences and, and things like that. So we will make sure that we're, we know who our members are, is that we're actually going to have a, a nomination. If you want to come in, motor carriers are going to have to allow you. You're going to have to be nominated as a new member. So we're going to be very careful about who our audience is. And in that now safe environment, not necessarily with the facts of an individual case, but we've, we've talked to all kinds of people. And it's like, boy, I wish I wish I could share uh, a mock jury session that we did. It was really awesome and gave us a lot of insight into how to how to attack this or, or trainings. There's all kinds of talk about anti reptile trainings that are being developed out there. We've got a good one of our advisory board members, Bill Kanaski, does a lot of work in that area. And and uh, we're going to be deploying uh, you know resources like that inside of this kind of forum we call we call Blue Wire Connect. So uh, sorry to get too wordy there, but that's that's kind of the way the product will work is we'll measure it. We will score you. We will recommend action. We will connect you to the solution. And then we're going to give us all a safe place to come and talk about how, how we're making good progress and, and how do we collaborate just like the plaintiffs do. But see, the heart and soul of Blue Wire is going to be the artificial intelligence, the AI, right? So you're constantly going to be feeding data points into the AI. The AI is going to be learning and getting better and better and better. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So you know, I talked earlier about fancy AI. We are going to be using some fancy AI. Uh, the tools out there today are just incredible. And, you know, what we can mine uh, out of things you might not expect, like social media, like job board posts, like conversations between the dispatcher, um, you know, text mining is, is kind of the latest cutting edge in AI. And, you know, we've done a little we've done a little experimentation, for example, um, and we've pointed the AI at a broad collection of plaintiff websites just to see kind of the, what are they talking about? How do they market themselves? And it's absolutely fascinating. You know, when you, if you just, you know, if you just Google trucking plaintiffs attorneys, you get over 5 million uh, returns from that. So we've begun to point our AI at, at what they're saying, you know, what is their message out there? And we think there's ways we can probably, uh, you know, turn that back in, into a defensive mechanism uh, for the industry, things like that. And I know you're early on, Steve, with the process here, but I, I, I heard that you all started the process by putting out a public survey for, for carriers to get in there and answer some questions. Is there any preliminary data that you're starting to see come out of that that, that you can yeah, share there with is, us? Yeah, a little bit. It's, 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 you know, it's been out a few weeks now, but it is, you know, if you hit the Blue Wire website, we encourage people to go through the survey, motor carriers, or if you're very closely... Uh, uh, you have a close relationship with a carrier if you're a consultant or somebody like that, insurance, legal, and you're very familiar with a specific motor carrier. You can go through this survey um, and it's really trying to get it's it, think of it as a, a self inventory 
of those attack vectors. How exposed are you? But instead of us doing it with data science, it's, it's a questionnaire where you perform that evaluation of yourself. Now it's anonymous, it's free. We don't ask you what motor carrier you're thinking about. So there's no way that you're gonna get in you know, trouble exposing anything you're doing. But so we've, been, we've had that out there for a while now. So some of the things that are, yeah, there's a couple, couple things. Uh, one of the questions we ask is what's your role in the organization? And this is one of the reasons we, we know this is such a huge issue. Uh, and what we asked, and I don't know what we have, I maybe maybe a dozen different roles you can choose from and you can imagine them. It's safe, safety and risk and legal and HR and business owner and things like that. Uh, it's an absolute rainbow of responses in what we've gotten. So, you know, this issue cuts across the whole organization. It is of huge interest and is getting the attention, not just of the safety department or not just of the insurance people. This is a huge problem for the for every person involved in trucking. So I'd say that was one of the takeaways. The other one is interesting. So when we look at the the inventory that these uh, that these survey takers are are taking of their own operations, uh, and then we also ask them how well prepared do you think you are. So we go through a rather extensive survey to get at the details of how exposed they are. And then we just flat out ask them, how exposed are you? Scale of one to 10, set the marker. And it's, it's uh, let's just say, we think there may be a bit of overconfidence uh, <laughs> taking place out there because their, their stated uh, uh, posture, how, how well they are set to defend themselves, doesn't always necessarily line up with the inventory that they then uh, present to us through the survey. So. And yet they're answering the survey on the Blue Wire website, so they clearly acknowledge they've got some sort of issue, I, I yeah. suspect. Well, uh, issue or at least interest, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So what's the next step? Got us through. I, I saw some news that you all released here earlier this week, some exciting news. Tell us about that. Uh, on the fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're, you know, like any startup, we're, we're looking for fuel. You know, we've got what we think is a very well thought through developed idea. We've got a great team. So one of the things that, that I did when I started, I, I made the decision early on that I was going to do this very differently than I did Vigilo. So that was a, what was I call, I tell people that was the Stevie show. You know, that was me. I started it. I was the boss. I had no board of directors. No, nobody told me what to do by golly. Um, so, but this is a huge problem. And so we early on started talking about needing what I came to call the army of allies. And that resulted in just an, a rock star board of directors that we've now recruited and have in place. Uh, we have an amazing, equally uh, star-studded group of an advisory board from all across the industry, truckers, suppliers, insurance, legal, et cetera. And then obviously we're building a, what I think is going to be a first-class organization, the, the company itself. And then when we got to raising money, uh, we talked about it and we said, well, why don't we continue to build the army of allies and let's reach out to this industry? I mean, we could go you know, we could go to private equity, venture capital, you know, we know how to do that. We could have gone and found money in probably a small number of places and launched this thing. And we've made the very conscious decision. You know what? No, we want to do this uh, and have more and more of the industry involved. So we we have lowered the expectations. So we are now seeking through a it's it's all very done being done very legally and properly through an SEC rule that allows small companies, startups like us to 
basically market our securities to qualified investors. There's a rule for that. Uh, so we just launched that this last Monday. Um, we did it about two weeks ago, very quietly to a few select folks, but we launched it to the industry on Monday. And I think that's the press release you saw. And it's going, yeah. it's going very well, We're getting a lot of interest there. And we'll get to our fundraising goals here, I think, in very short order and, and truly get ourselves kicked off, get hiring people and get into uh, real full, full on software development. Well, it turns out you're a great salesman, Steve. Brendan wants to know where do you sign? Where does he sign up? Bluear.ai <laughs> and hit on, click on the investor page and send an email, and it'll come right to me. We'll get you started. <laughs> great. Well, hey, Steve, we really appreciate you jumping on here and telling us about what you got going on and, and hearing your your insight on on nuclear verdicts and kind of what carriers can do to at least mitigate mitigate their risk while we're waiting on some type of solution to the to the underlying problem. And I think that kind of segues nicely into our next guest, uh, um, which Steve has already mentioned here. So we'll bring on John. Uh, next up yeah. on the show. Yeah, so John is a proud sixth-generation Texan. He's about as Texas as they come. Uh, John currently serves as the president and CEO of the Texas Trucking Association. Uh, he's also the executive director of the Southwest Movers Association. Um, I had the pleasure of listening to John give a presentation down in San Antonio a couple months ago. He had some really great insights on nuclear verdicts, so we're really happy, have, happy to have him here. Um, enough for me, John. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. So tell me just a little bit of how you got into the trucking space and ultimately kind of where you are right now. Oh, goodness. Um, I, what I found out was my, uh, my now 98-year-old grandfather, 98-year-old grandfathers, I never left, <clears throat> excuse me, I never left the trucking space. I have a uh, proud great-grandson of a trucker, grandson. My dad, uh, Vietnam War, changed his trajectory from driving trucks to uh, uh, getting involved in uh, service and work for the government. And uh, I was on my way to be a public relations practitioner when um, I entered the workforce at a time that was difficult to find a job. And uh, by hook and crook, I ended up working for uh, George W. Bush and his uh, re-election campaign for governor back in the late 90s. And uh, through that process and through that um, experience, got to work with a guy named Carl Rowe, who was really working through his for Hispanic Reach, uh, excuse me, House Hispanic Outreach in Texas during the time. And I became the coalition director for that campaign, which later introduced me to Governor Perry, went to work for him after Bush became uh, president stayed here in Texas, started raising a family. And then um, after about 10 years working in uh, public policy and uh, political campaigns, the Texas Trucking Association came calling and provided me this opportunity. And I picked up the phone, called my grandfather, and he said, I told you you'd be back. And he was right. <laughs> That's excellent. So I talked about victory laps earlier. And, and right now, you know, of course, with you, I'm referencing the passage of HB 19, uh, which becomes effective on September 1st of this year. Um, for those that might be unfamiliar with HB 19, could you kind of just walk us through a brief summary of what it's actually going to do in Texas to address nuclear verdicts? 
I sure will. And I'm, it's, I'm very glad to have my attorney on the phone here as well or on the call here with us, uh, Jared, because you're certainly uh, very familiar with uh, the process behind uh, what has been abused, not only in Texas, but in other parts of the country as well. But uh, HB 19 is effectively our attempt in working with uh, Chairman Jeff Leach out of the northern part of the state, also an attorney who um, very early on recognized the challenges that the Texas defense was seeing in the courtroom when it came to the plaintiff's uh, attorneys and the, the plaintiff's bar's tactics uh, when it, in regards to the abuse that we were seeing in these lawsuits. And in particular, it's been mentioned already, this, this well-known reptile theory uh, began to really proliferate in the last several years, especially in about 2015, we sat down and began to uh, uh, recognize within the defense counsel community and our motor carrier principles as well, that we've got an issue and it's a growing issue. And it began to get worse and worse and worse. And about the time that uh, uh, Chris Spear made that uh, public enemy number one, we were well positioned to uh, take a, another good cut at uh, what we believe would be relief. Uh, two, well, two sessions ago, we attempted a few bills, which in Texas, that's four years ago, that didn't go anywhere. Uh, Steve will appreciate that the reasons why they didn't go anywhere, because there was no data behind it. We, had to, we could talk anecdotally all we wanted about what we thought would happen and what we see coming around the corner. Uh, but one of my favorite uh, uh, legislators here in town, the chairman of the Senate Transportation, when you go talk to him and he sits behind his desk, there's a sign up on his wall that effectively says, well, not effectively, it says specifically, uh, in God we trust, everybody else bring us data. Um, not surprising <laughs> an engineer. <laughs> And uh, that was pretty much the tone for what we had to do. And that's why, you know, folks like Steve, it's so important to the industry. You've already mentioned Atri. We had to bring data back to show how this was affecting us. And what we did in HP19, to your questions, effectively began to, to re-separate that trial as it was intended. Effectively, we codified a well-established law of negligence in Texas, per se, what was being abused is the plaintiff's bar was, was using or abusing the process to bias juries against companies, against motor carriers, uh, irregardless of what the what event had occurred. And as you well know, there's a pretty well-known rule here, and I hope to continue to make it more and more well-known. I like to call it the rule of 14 and 4. When you dig into the data here, Steve, available online, and I've done it personally over the last several years, going back to 2009, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 2007 at this point, there's crash data that's published on the Texas Department of Public Safety, excuse me, the Texas Department of Transportation's website. And it allows you to evaluate up and down what is it that's occurring in the state of Texas in which people are falling fatality, falling victim to. And when you dive into that data, and it's you know it's it's always impersonal to make averages about any time there's a loss of life. But when I look and I look at that data all the time, it tells me that trucks, commercial vehicles, 18-wheelers are involved in accidents that result in fatalities in Texas 14% of the time. Law enforcement assign, assigns responsibility in these instances. That happens approximately 4% of the time. 
4% of the time. That gives you an idea of uh, a professional driver and what it entailed to be a professional driver. These are proud people that do a great job hauling 80,000 pounds, 100,000 miles in any given year. They do a fantastic job by and large. The instances in which they are fined at fault are so small, yet why are we seeing the, the hockey sticks that you were showing us early on in the uh, graphics that we saw from um, American uh, uh, Transportation Research Institute? There is a fundamental difference between what's happening, who's at fault, and the direction that these lawsuits were heading. HB 19 uh, basically attempt to resegregate that trial into a two-part trial that in any case involving commercial vehicle in the state of Texas, these two-part trials, they're already used in both civil and criminal cases. However, when you're trying to define the negligence of the driver or the negligence of the employer in maintaining records or maintaining the vehicle, and you're talking about compensatory damages that are determined in that first phase of the, of the trial, what they've been doing so effectively in the trial bar is affording the jury information that you would seek when you're looking for those exemplary damages. So effectively, it's double dipping. You're exposing the jury in the first phase of the trial what you would what you would all what you would normally establish in that second phase. And I think it's important to point out, most importantly to point out, the rights of Texans who are truly injured in a vehicle accident. This continues to protect them. This is purely about the manipulation of evidence at trial and seeking these millions and millions of dollars, these nuclear verdicts, if you will, um, that are not the fault of the plaintiff or in far too many cases when the plaintiff's uh, not even injured. So this is really about leveling the scales of justice as they've been, uh, they've been unleveled for far too long and it's uh, high time that we had to do something about it as an industry. So just to be clear, you're talking about trial bifurcation, bifurcation of actual liability and then damages, which is something that is often requested and rejected throughout the country. But are you saying HB 19 guarantees bifurcation if requested or makes it more likely? That is okay. correct. It, it is an option for the defendant to request that. So that's that puts that back as intended. Again, I feel like We've really done nothing more than recodify an existing practice in Texas. It's what's been circumvented over time, and and uh, that's come through abuse that we've seen in other sectors. I mean, it's it's 20 years ago there was many tort reforms put in place because of similar tactics that were used against the uh, doctors, the medical practitioners in the state of Texas. No one knows better than them how this has been abused, and over the course of time in correcting that path. Both Governor Bush, then Governor Perry, um, Governor Abbott here in the state of Texas, have continued to maintain interest in ensuring that these uh, our courtrooms remain fair and legal. And, and the reason, I mean, it's really simple. There's a Texas miracle that's been going on for almost 20 years, if not more, and it's something that Texans are very proud of. And we, as an industry, um, absolutely the the the, the life bone, the, the, the lifeblood of, the backbone of, and that's the surging economy in Texas. That we've been proud of being a place where we invite companies to move to. We have a climate that's predictable, taxes that are predictable. When you have the sort of thing that's happening and has been happening 
uh, for the last several years and abused in the last several years when we talk about these nuclear verdicts. And unfortunately, some of the worst ones have been noted ones that have happened in Texas. That's not something we're very proud of. And so it's we reached that tipping point with the data and with research uh, that allowed us to move forward with a strong argument and a very strong coalition in seeking change this past legislative se session, which fortunately we were able to find uh, so far. Hey, John, before the show, we were talking about how there's more work to do, always more work to do on this front. And can you give us a feel for what, what are the next steps that the association is looking at in, in that regard? Yeah, most certainly. So, um, you know, what I think one of the best things that we did, we get you have access to minds like Steve and, and uh, you know, it's so funny. One thing I've learned in doing this work and being, I've been in the association now here 15 years is that the average person might look at the truck driver and look at a truck and not see a lot of technology, not see a lot of opportunity. Um, but we all know different. We all know that when you look at what that truck is equipped with or capable of, companies like Vigilo, what Steve's doing today, this is about data analytics. It's about the cutting edge of technology. We're well equipped to uh, instigate change. And I, and, I, and I think that we were able to see a little bit of that success here in Texas in, in HB19. And frankly, we were on that course for Senate Bill 17, which was another, we were taking a one-two punch in Texas as, as looking at reptile theory, but also looking at uh, medical billing. And that's something that we've seen some irregularities in, some inflation in. Fortunately, we had a, a Supreme Court ruling in the state of Texas that afforded us a much better protection than what we were seeking this legislative session. And so HB 19 or Senate Bill 17 went to the wayside while uh, while that ruling came through in, in two different instances and two different opinions. So that's a huge change for us, but it represents success in, in a, you know, one and two, but not going to count this as a knockout. We, we all know that uh, the, the plaintiff's bar is uh, very skilled and it's something that we have to stay a step ahead of. What will they look to abuse uh, next? And, and in particular, and what's been making some headlines here as of late, is um, uh, the financing of some of these uh, companies or some of these uh, partnerships that have been established in, through relationships with these uh, lawsuits or these uh, plaintiff's attorneys and uh, who stands to profit from a nuclear verdict. That's something we want to continue to look into. Yeah, we saw the article come out, I think it was yesterday, from Eric Miller over at Transport Topics, kind of digging into the weeds on that being a problem. And it's, you know, you and I, John, were talking earlier, it's, it's is the solution, it sounds like, not maybe not even a solution, but a, a way to kind of mitigate that is some kind of disclosure at the state level that has to be made as to who has a financial stake, something similar to what we see in a lot of the federal courts where you have to disclose who has a financial stake stake in the outcome. It seems like that that needs to be, you know, pushed through the various states. Well, I personally think it's a very logical solution or a very logical request to look at. As a matter of fact, we've been uh, working with our congressional delegation, talking to some of our congressional members. There's interest in taking what would be, uh, you know, define a new line. You talk about $10 million. Uh, um, I'd like to talk about that minimum liability policy that is at 750000 as it sits today. 
if juries are seeking or the plaintiffs are seeking damages above that amount, shouldn't we have access to a federal courtroom? That's something that, where the rules are a little different. Things change a little. They get a little serious and a little in, more intolerant of the practices that we see um, and that we've been seeing abused today. Let me tell you, you know, trouble rides a fast horse. This, these guys are figuring out, and over the course of the last five years, we went from just a couple of cases here and there to a proliferation of them. So we are going to have to stay ahead of it effectively find us a faster horse. So have you had, you know, not asking for names here, obviously, but have you had other states reach out to you to ask about HB 19 and potentially looking to enact similar laws in their state? You know, I've talked to several of my colleagues around the state. Matter of fact, um, help lead a uh, presentation, a panel last week, if you will, at uh, our, what we call our uh, TAEC, a Trucking Association Executive Council. The states are very close. Uh, some of my best friends are in surrounding states. Uh, we all have the same challenges, but I think more fortunate for us, we all stay in very tight communications. And each state is different. And each board, you know, I've got a board that, that governs our activity here. Each board is different. Um, some states are seeing more abuse than others. Ours happen to be one of those states. So we absolutely share what we're doing here. I've borrowed from what other states have been looking at or, or what are already in place in states that, uh, you know, we look at and say, well, we need that here. We, where there's no pride in authorship when it comes to passing good laws in the state of Texas. And, and you know, state legislators do that. When I work in state government, we, in fact, next week, there's a big national conference of American legislative uh, type, and they all get together and they talk public policy. And the first thing you talk about is what is successful in your state, what's not successful, so that perhaps um, I can step around any challenges or any problems that uh, you might have seen in your state or know about them before we go into them. Excellent. Yeah, hope, hopefully we start to see that that type of solution start to pick up steam and i think we'll bring steve back on one of the conversations we had and i think steve put it best is you know what what john and his team are doing with the on the legislative side of things seems to be you know a, a good solution to the problem but in the meantime i mean obviously it takes time to get these types of bills passed and and we just don't have that time uh, as motor carriers to to wait on that type of thing to happen in our state in every state so you know i think what what steve and his team and what we're trying to do at truck safe consulting is is help carriers to mitigate the exposure to those types of nuclear verdicts in the interim so um, i know we're running short on time here so i just really want to uh, thank you both for joining us it was a very eye-opening conversation appreciate what you're both doing for the industry and and thank you so much yeah great to be here thank you thank you guys thank you so much for coming thank you all so we'll wrap up this uh, this first episode of Truck Safe Live just by uh, just by saying thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, appreciate you being here. Appreciate Steve and John uh, and their insight, great insight that they bring to this particular topic. We're going to tackle these types of issues down the line uh, here. We're going to try and do the show monthly. We're going to talk about uh, next month. We're looking at a show on on telematics and ELDs. So make sure you you look out for our notices on that. Then 
and we've got some other exciting things planned uh, down the line. So in the meantime, I just want to say, um, you know, from Truck Safe Consulting's perspective, give you a little idea for for what it is that we're trying to do. We've been, you know, help like I said, helping motor carriers, trying to help motor carriers mitigate their exposure, not only to nuclear verdicts, but also just to regulatory violations and the like uh, for, for several years. Um, one of the best ways that I think that Jared and I have found uh, for this process or, or, or for this risk mitigation is self-critical examination. In other words, we, we advise all of our motor carrier clients, you got to be taking uh, the time and, and putting in a routine of regularly looking at your safety program um, and, and identifying gaps. Because if you don't know what the problem areas are, how do you ever expect to to fix them? So one of the things that if you're interested in checking out that we just put up on our website, uh, it's a white paper on the mock DOT process. It's It'll give you a feel for you know what the DOT looks at when they come in to do their audits. And we think it's it, the best practice is to just for, for motor carriers, whether they do it themselves or whether they hire a third party to come in and, and look at their records, get on a schedule of doing these and, and identifying those gaps and filling those gaps so they don't become a problem. So this white paper is available on our website. If you check it, you can check it out at trucksafeconsulting.com. Um, Lastly, um, I just want to quickly mention um, the courses that we offer through trucksafeacademy.com. So one of the things that Jared and I both noticed uh, very early on when we were looking at starting TruckSafe Consulting was this uh, uh, pretty glaring gap in the industry in particular in, in, in how we train drivers and safety managers on their regulatory obligations. You know, there's no, no shortage of, of regulatory obligations that apply to drivers and their safety managers. And so, you know, there's, there's certainly great training materials out there on defensive driving and workplace safety. And, and, but what we found was that there was this gap in, in good uh, comprehensive training resources on specific specific to the federal safety regulations. And so we set out to build those courses. We, we just recently launched them on trucksafeacademy.com. If you head over there now, you can learn more about them. We're giving a 15% off uh, discount for anybody who's watched this webinar. Just enter the code nuclear 15. So check those out. Give us a call if you have any questions uh, or if you want to see a demo or anything like that. So. Well, thanks a lot, Brandon, and thank you everyone for attending, and we look forward to next month's show. All right. Take care.